Hey. Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm Kurt, one of your hosts, and this is Chris, one of your hosts as well. Me too. I'm here. Welcome, everybody. Hey, we have a great uh, program tonight, a great show. We have a special guest tonight, Jason Hickey, who uh, is actually already with us. You can say hi, Jason. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're going to get into this. Chris has some questions. The, the way this is rolling tonight is we're going to ask, we're going to like fire tons of questions at Jason, see how good he is, like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, dodging yes, questions, yes. answering questions. Uh, we're going to get into that. He has an incredible life story, incredible experiences, incredible insight. I don't know how many times I'm going to say incredible tonight, but Jason is incredible. And uh, so you're going to be really excited. Maybe you're not excited right now because you don't know Jason, but I'm telling you, you will be excited to be in this show tonight. And the question, the topic tonight that we're covering is actually a question. Do you know your calling? Mm -hmm. And you may think, I don't have a calling, or how do I figure that out? And it's, tonight's going to be very practical. I think Jason is really going to pull us down to earth and help us with the practicality of understanding how important it is to know our calling and how to, to uh, come to that point. So that's what we're all about tonight, uh, Life Hurts, God Heals, where this show really is just Walking, we walk through a broken world. That's what we always talk about, how broken this world is, and yet how God is restoring it, and how as we come into greater awareness of God in our lives, how we, he uses us and aligns us with his, his purpose in healing not only us and restoring not only us, but the people around us and therefore the world. Um, suddenly I have Michael Jackson's song, uh, Man in the Mirror in my head. I don't know why, but I think it relates as, as to that. <laughs> and, it's, a, it's a great St. Patrick's Day song. You know, we all know that. <laughs> Speaking of St. Patrick's Day, thank you so much for setting me up right there. That was beautiful. Uh, we are going to, uh, we always start off with some trivia. So uh, we're going to talk trivia tonight because it is St. Patrick's Day. And we're going to talk trivia. And before we do that, I, I want to give a shout out to one of my Best friends, Mark Massagi, who it's his birthday today. On Saint pa- he has St. Patrick's Day <laughs> for a birthday, and uh, and he is he is home cooking. He was going he lives in Las Vegas, and he was going to go see the Golden Knights play tonight. But as mm. most of us are aware, unless you live on a mountaintop away from everything and your name is Grizzly Adams, uh, everyone – oh, that was old reference right there. I just showed how old I am. Yeah, you dated um, yourself for sure. Oh, wow. Wow. Anyway, he, unless you're there, you know what's going on in the world. Uh, so he he's not getting to do that. He's home hanging out with friends, so I just want to give him a shout-out. Okay. Uh, and one last thing, we do not want to forget, we could never forget our producer, Annie Keith. Annie, we love Ooh, you. Woo. Are you there? I had my phone muted. Hi, Annie. to the end degree. <laughs> That's okay. You're going to get through this. Speaking of brokenness, you're experiencing just how broken life gets, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We won't Very talk about so. that. Just like, it's like Fight Club. 
we won't talk about it, but we'll it's talk there. About it. Okay. All right. So it's, we just want you to know, though, Annie, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. <clears throat> All love right. You guys, uh, too. Oh. Well, obviously you do because this show is, continues to go, and it's only because of God's mercy and grace and your uh, incredible tech power. So. That's it. That's all there is. Mm, Chris and I are just yes. pretty faces and Jason too tonight. <laughs> all right. So say anyone, St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Day trivia or St. Patrick's trivia. And those can be two different things, huh? <clears throat> yes. Very different things. So which okay. one are we doing? All of the above. Anything. I'm you not want. doing any of those. So you're not. Oh, Let's hear it. Are you, are you are you resisting this? Are you uh, anti Saint Patrick? No, I, I have different trivia. I don't I don't yeah. But I'm interested in your trivia about Saint Patrick's Day. Well, uh, let's start with the personal. Jason has a personal Saint Patrick's Day trivia and I, I like yeah. I like that I just found this out, so Jason Uh yes. Uh um which of the three you know, radio hosts of which one may or may not be a guest had the lyric of St. Patrick sung at his ordination. I, you're never going to guess which one it is, are you? No, never. Yeah, I know no, it's not no. me. Okay, so that means it's just between me and Chris. Or oh, I thought right. I was involved in this. <laughs> Annie, you are. Annie, you're in there too. Yeah, it was 100% Annie. It was Annie. I knew it. I knew it. Yep. It was it was Annie known as Jason. Uh, Very cool. I you know, here's the here's what's interesting why I know it wasn't me, because I don't even know what you're saying. I don't know what a Loric is. Mm. It's a it's a it's a special poem. Oh. It's a it's it's kind of like a a poem that defines you in Gaelic and Irish culture. I've heard of limericks. Is it the same limerick thing? As a limerick is like a drinking poem. <laughs> <laughs> Which also That's goes right. with St. Patrick's Day trivia. Yes, it does. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like did you guys know that San Luis Obispo is the number 1 orderer and consumer of Jameson Irish whiskey in the world on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. Wow. Fun fact. There were quite a few people not city? very happy about the closures either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Including Myself the ones speaking. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, what about uh, the city where Guinness is brewed? Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't know what, the answer. What about it? Guinness, is it Guinness? <laughs> is the name of the city Guinness? No. It's Dublin. Is it, du- Dublin. Uh, is it yeah. Dublin? Yep, that's what I was going to yes. guess, Dublin. Okay, I got one for you. So uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade is the world's oldest civilian parade and the largest in the United States. Hmm. In the I didn't New realize York, New York City. Where is it held? New York ah, City. There you go. New York City. Not, not this year. <laughs> right. And the first St. Patrick's Day parade took place in America, not Ireland. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that is where, uh, so yeah, you know, my, for those of you listening who don't know me, my last name is Hickey. Yep. I didn't make that up. That's not a stage name. That's <laughs> just a real name. Um, but when my, when my great grandfather immigrated here, it was O'Hickey. Oh. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Is that because he got busted by his wife with a hickey on his neck, and she said, "Oh, hickey." No. Uh, yes. That, that yes. was terrible. Either that, or it's a long, long name of Irish king. One oh. or the other. I like the second one much better. <clears throat> okay, here's a, here's one. What this is actually a trivia question. What color was okay. originally associated with St. Patrick? Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to go with red. No. Ah. Chris, just give it a guess. I mean, there's, you know, only so many colors. Well, there's a lot of colors, but, you know. Uh, infinite number. <laughs> True. Ah, uh, Why would it be a different color than red or green? Let's say yellow. Blue. Hmm. And I don't have an answer why. <laughs> I knew you were kidding. So you just made it up. No, I didn't. <laughs> you just made it up. No, I, I, yeah, I don't I, – I actually don't know the answer to that <clears throat> to And that you're question. not allowed to bring that up as a trivia if you don't know. <laughs> Wait, are we changing the material. bylaws? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, fake news. Fake news for sure. Right. Right. Okay, well, hey, Jason, um, tonight – we're really excited to have you on our show. And excited yeah, to be here. Yeah, I want to thank you for being willing to be subjected to us. So thank you for for that. And uh, I mm. love Chris. This was going to be awesome for me because my uh, daughter had a concert tonight, and the the optimum emphasis is on had a concert mm-hmm. tonight. And I wasn't going to be here for a while. And so I really want to turn this over to to Chris. You know, obviously everything's been canceled. A lot of stuff is canceled. We don't have to worry about being canceled because, you know, we're not. We have Annie. Yeah, and we're not in proximity to each other, so this is great. Uh, I've actually had people ask me, are you guys in the same room when you're doing this? And we're not. And so we can do this. We can do this all the time. Well, you know, not all the time, but we can continue to do this because we don't have to worry about infecting each other. <clears throat> so anyway, I want to, the whole point is I want to turn this over to Chris because he, he really wants to, he had some questions he's been prepping and I don't want to mess that up. So I'm going to take a backstage and let tonight, Chris, you get to lead no, that's not yeah. how we're going to do this, but oh. I'll, I'll start it off because I know, I know, I know Kurt, and he <laughs> is loaded with questions. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to begin. Jason, glad you're here. Welcome aboard. Um, maybe you could tell us a little about yourself first, audience, a little bit about you, your family and yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, well, I'm excited to be here too. And again, thank you for, for letting me, uh, join you guys and crash the party. Um, I, uh, I'm 40 years old. Um, I, I grew up in Huntington beach, California. 
Um, so okay. Surf City USA, uh, any yeah. church that believes that it's, or excuse me, any uh, city that believes that it's actually Surf City is incorrect. Um, it's, it's Huntington <laughs> Beach. Um, and if you're, if you didn't grow up in a city where the Beach Boys sang a song about your city, it's not Surf City, period. <laughs> um, so, so I grew up, um, with a crazy, kind of a crazy blended family, um, my parents got divorced when I was two, and um, I I had a stepmom by the time I was four, and a stepdad by the time I was four, and still have that same stepdad, and and thankfully I don't have that same stepmom anymore. Um, but I have a, a, an amazing stepmom who's been my stepmom mm-hmm. since I was fourteen. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's listening, shout out Rhonda, you're the best. Um, and uh, and cool. so, um, I have two kids, uh, Finnegan and Grayson. Um, and so Ireland is, is in our home represented on all levels. Uh, and so we had, you know, as we're going to talk about it, I know we're going to spend some time talking about this a little bit tonight. And so, um, we have three kids, one who's with Jesus and then two kids who are with us, uh, mm. and, uh, and a daughter in between her name is, uh, Emerson. Emerson Grace, which is why Grayson is named Grayson. Um, and I've been married to my amazing wife, uh, Kristen, for almost 20 years, um, 20 years in July. And we got married when I was seven. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, we got married when I was 20, and uh, and she was 27. And, and we, we started dating when I was 18, and she was 25 quite the scandal very footloose uh-huh. of us Ooh, uh, I, like this. I want to hear more of that <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and uh and so yeah i'm uh i've okay. been a pastor of, of some sort since i was 20 years old i've been on staff at a church since i was 20 um but i've done lots of jobs even when i was a pastor even though i was serving at uh-huh. churches um uh-huh. done everything from tossing pizzas to making lattes to designing clothing to protecting the security of your internet to yeah uh, yeah kind Whatever of you can, yeah yeah been there. You can make money Done doing that that's right that's right tent making we call that tent making that's right that's so. right well then uh cool thanks for that so um tell us how you got into uh, spiritual direction and and maybe include in that what 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 do you mean by spiritual direction in your mind yeah yeah so uh, I mean it's a there's a lot of answers to that question as far as like what mm-hmm. does it mean um, but to me it's it's the council of someone who is uniquely gifted spiritually to hear what you're not saying and to help provide remedies to the soul that you may not have intuitively thought of. 
Okay. Um, okay. Right. I mean, the easy definition, right? The easy boiling down of that is the art of sacred listening. Mm. Okay. Like how did you get into that? How did you? How did your life evolve into that? Yeah. So it's kind of a long story. Um, and I, I have, you know, as a pastor, every story is a long story. Um, but um, the but the skill is in uh, bringing the the highlights. Yeah. yeah, the highlight reel, if you will, the the uh, ESPN best damn sports show, sixty second rundown is. Um, I got my degree in philosophy. Um, I got my undergrad in philosophy um, at a non Christian school on purpose because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't. I wanted to know if there were reasonable and rational things and reasons to believe in God. And uh, I was solely giving myself to the loving God with my mind part for about seven years. Hmm. Um, Trying to figure out how to love him with my mind, because I see so much in the church that that we don't do that well. Hmm. And when I arrived at certainly not the end of that road, because I certainly could have gone way further than that. But when I arrived at the end of that road for me, um, I realized that there was more um, because the mind was only a piece of what I was longing for. And mm-hmm. so I started getting in, I started my master's program in theology and I started becoming acquainted with, um, particularly with uh, the other parts of our faith, our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in the Catholic tradition and our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox tradition. Um, and I started to become acquainted with their writings and with the things that they were talking about and things that they were thinking about. And they were things that I'd never heard before, things that I'd never thought of before. And so I had, I started to do, um, basically I was a youth pastor at the time and I started to do experimentation in the spiritual disciplines with middle school and high school students of silence, mm. solitude, and contemplative prayer. Wow. With, um, with you know, 12-year-old boys who still laugh at the word balls. I mean, you know, <laughs> I sort of... Sure. Uh, I still do, too. Right? I mean, just I like, can't, just I can't like Kurt it. does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And for, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of hard, depending on the context, you know. Um, and so, anyway, uh we were practicing these things and, um, and I started to become intrigued by what they were producing in students. And, and then I got introduced to my, who would, a guy who had become my thesis advisor. His name's Roger Hoiser. He's an incredible professor at Vanguard university. Um, and he is also a spiritual director. And, um, and so I started becoming intrigued um, by this concept. And I asked if he would be willing to be my spiritual director. Um, and so he said, yes, thankfully. And, uh, and for the next three and a half years, um, we would sit and talk and he would hear all the things that my soul was saying and not the things that my mouth was saying. What are some of the questions just out of curiosity? There you go, Chris. You, you're right. 
what are some of the questions? It took like, him eight minutes, Chris. Yeah. Eight minutes. To yeah, get I, into I this. know this about Kurt, so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, my curiosity is is really, you know, uh, peaked on this. What what are like in those sessions? Like what what do the the sessions of spiritual direction look like? This would this is pretty foreign to a lot of people. So mm-hmm. the idea of you guys like you sat around or where did you meet? Like how long did you guys do this for in a session? Did you meet every week? And what did what kind of things did you guys talk about? Yeah, no, those are all really good questions. Um, ours was a little bit more loose than what you might call like a, like having an active spiritual director, or you know, since he was a mm-hmm. professor of mine, and um, I was working full time, and you know, getting my master's degree, so the timing, the time was a little bit different. So we would meet in his office, or we'd walk to a coffee shop, or we'd go get dinner. Um, and, uh, you know, he would, he would just ask me questions about my week in many ways. I think what's really intriguing is, you know, the, 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 the actual acting out of spiritual direction in my experience is, is a lot like therapy with a friend. Hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm a 20 year veteran of being in counseling and, and in therapy and, and I, I, it, it, it felt different because the objective was truly to be, to be heard and to be known. And, and when I, when I was in therapy, I felt like the, the objective was to process and, and mm-hmm. that's part of it too in spiritual direction, but it was to process and to kind of find healthier ways to live that out. Um, in spiritual direction, it had a lot more to do with, um, what were the spiritual remedies to the physical symptoms? Um, and so he would ask me questions about, um, you know, how my day was going and how my week was going and what was happening. And, and just like you would in a normal therapy session or, you know, what do you want to talk about today? You know? Um, and I would respond with, man, I've been feeling blank or I, I feel like I'm missing blank. And he would just ask me, well, what is that? What is that? You know, what do you mean by that? And he would just keep asking me what I mean questions mm-hmm. until he felt like he had heard what I was, well, until I was able to articulate what I was actually feeling and he heard it in a way. And then if I couldn't articulate it, he would just ask me kind of, I think probing questions to get me to really think through what, what I was feeling, what I was thinking and how the practices of silent solitude, contemplative prayer, um, fasting, you know, uh, and, and others, communion, uh, worship, fellowship, how, how these might subvert and uproot the effect of the fall that I was mm-hmm. experiencing. Mm-hmm. 
whether that was internal or external. That's awesome. Because I feel like every everything that we were doing was figuring out, and everything that we are doing, even in therapy, is the effects of the fall that were either forced upon us or that that we've chosen to accept as reality, hmm. or or that we have subconsciously accepted as reality. That's great. Chris, you got any? Who's next? Oh, yeah. It's you. Oh, yeah. It's you. <laughs> I just wanted, if you wanted to lead on some more, Kurt, you could. So I, I'm I'm intrigued by uh, when you, you talked about doing this, uh, or at least experimenting with uh, listening uh, to God with uh, these 12-year-old boys. And um, because I think, and, and Kurt alluded to this, that... Um, um, you know, throughout history, there have been those who have pursued a deeper relationship with God. And uh, and typically that kind of pursuit was always in the hands of monks and priests or pastors, evangelists traveling uh, on yeah. horseback or whoever, you know. And, and they yeah. developed a desire and a taste for that. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of my understanding comes from those devotional fathers. And yeah. so my question was, um, I think we have a misunderstanding that uh, spiritual direction is, is only for those who are advanced in Christ, you know, for those who, mm. who have an advanced knowledge of Christ or have been in, in relationship with Christ for, you know, uh, many years. But, mm. um, that's not what you're saying is that that is not the case at all. Um, and so I, no. I just wanted you to speak to that a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I believe that throughout the periods, you know, or the epochs or the eras or whatever you want to call them of the history of the church, um, both in its unified sense and then later in its western and eastern sense yeah there have been periods where experiencing god as a primary means of spiritual development was embraced and then there were periods where experiencing god as a primary means was not only not embraced, but replaced Mm. with the influence of our Greek brothers and sisters uh, and for um, what you would call, I think what I would call and what I think theologians call propositional ways of relating to God. Yeah. I like that word replaced. That's good. Yeah. So, so would you explain propositional for us just, you know, like for those of us who uh, have no idea what you're talking about? Not saying that I don't, but, okay, I don't know <laughs> yeah, what you're talking is, about. is this one of those asking for a friend moments? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, asking for a friend. Yeah, yes. all you got to do is ask for a friend, and then we all know on the inside that it's you, but we don't <laughs> mock you about it out loud. Instead, what you say is, oh, bless you. Which yeah, means, if I'm in the South, for sure. 
which yeah, means the South, I say inside that. means you're, you're a moron. You're, yes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know. I get that a lot for some reason. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, oh, bless you, Jason. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So propositional. Relating to God propositionally, um, what that means in a nutshell is that we've replaced experiencing God with believing, with the necessity to understand certain belief structures about him. Right. So, right. like, in, in, the, the, in a nutshell, instead of experiencing prayer, and, and so when someone says, what is prayer? The answer that, uh, that Chris's would have read when he was introduced to St. Anthony and St. Zeno and, and Father, you know, Father Abbott and, and these, these desert fathers and mothers, the desert fathers and mothers would have said, go into your cell and don't come out until you know the answer. Mm. And, and so the idea was go find out the answer. Go Experience discover it. God. Yes. Mm. Yes, exactly. And now we've said, you know, a lot of people make prayer more complicated than it is. And then we, and then we give an answer that is both true and not even close to full, yeah. which is, well, kind prayer is right. simply talking yeah. to God. Yeah. Let's just, you know, if prayer is talking to God. So I replaced an experience with a statement. So the proposition mm-hmm. is the statement. So, so what I did is I started experimenting with what if I just stopped teaching them? Like, what if I went on a retreat? So I was literally doing like camps or retreats with like 10 or 12, you know, students and like two or three other adults. Um, and, and I would just say, we're not going to teach them anything on this retreat. We're only going to show them how to begin. That's awesome. And and they would come back an hour later because I had this like bell that I would ring because I was you know I was really re- I was reading the Desert Fathers and stuff at that time so I was like super into like the monastic bell you know <laughs> as like the symbol for uh, for things and so I had this bell and I would just ring it and and uh, and that was time for that then that was the signal for them to kind of finish up what they were doing and and then to come kind of gather together and, and unpack it and unpack what they were doing. And I wouldn't change their perspective. I wouldn't force them to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't correct someone's bad theology in that moment because I had more trust in the sovereign God to correct their theology along the way. Mm. Um, And so, and so we so we would just come back and and students would say to me like I can't believe that was an hour like I felt like five minutes. Wow, these That's are twelve years started. old. <laughs> yeah, these are twelve and thirteen year old boys. That's wow. not where we started, but by the end of the weekend, that's where they were at. Wow, wow. You know, they yeah. started fidgety. They started you know like we all do in prayer. We yeah. start fidgety and anxious and distracted, but when we can give ourselves, um, you know, as the, as you know, Kurt, you and I were talking about this, this work, right. The author of the cloud of unknowing, um, mm-hmm. really captured me, Chris, to go to answer your question kind of in the truest nutshell, 
I read the cloud of unknowing and the author of the cloud says what cannot be, cannot be known about God can only be reached out through love. Hmm. And I knew in that moment when I read that phrase that I was missing a lot. Wow. Um, Wow. And so that led me to the whole thing, basically that, that one phrase. And see, that's the, uh, that's what I want our audience to know is that uh, this kind of intimacy with, with God is not based on maturity. Uh, it was mm-hmm. designed to begin at the earliest stages of our faith, the very first day of our faith. And, and, and somehow through our Western, yeah. And through our Western culture and, and how we, teach and think and and do this christian life we somehow the i think the enemy has deceived us uh in moving us away from the simplicity of some of these things and so that's mm-hmm. re- very encouraging really encouraging i'm going to jump in here to your point oh go ahead i'm going to jump in here for a minute because it is uh we're half an hour in and uh so we have to take a quick little break uh just so we can give people information. First of all, be, before we go to Annie, who's going to give us some information, a uh, couple things. <clears throat> One, and that just, if people are just jumping into this, we are inter- interviewing uh, a guy named Jason Hickey, and he is telling us his story, and we're going to hear more about his life as we go. And the topic that we're we're moving into eventually here tonight is what is your calling for all of us this is important we we may not think we have a calling but we do and we're going to talk about the practicality of knowing it discovering it and living it and and how that how that works for our life and so we've just Mm. been hearing some really great stuff about jason before we go any further though we want to talk about this one, if you are listening in, we want to remind you, you can call in. The number, if you're, if you're listening on, you can see the screen. There's a phone number on there, and you can call that phone number, which is, I'll just give it because I feel like I have something to do when I do this. So it's 323-580-5755. You can also find us on Facebook and make comments or questions there. We would love your interaction in this tonight. And uh, if you're, if you're listening on, on a podcast, uh, it's a pre, uh, recorded podcast, you can still go on Facebook and leave your comments and questions for us during the week. We would love that and interact with you. It doesn't end here tonight. We would love for, to, for you to connect with us. And, uh, and we also want to talk about there's some, we're a part of a network called uh, Link Local Network. And so we love talking about also the other shows that are, you can listen to live. And so Annie's going to give us that information. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. 
We'd also like to thank the Linked Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Linked Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. And that means you, Chris, or Jason. Oh, it means me? Well, actually, we should leave it with Jason. Oh. Jason was about to make a a very earth-shaking point here. So let's find oh, out what wow. it was. Okay, I don't know. Do about you remember that, what our question was? <laughs> yes, I think the I think what you were saying, Chris, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is that, that this idea of if you want to call it spiritual direction, you can call it that. If you're not comfortable with that, simply the, the to me that the, the fathers saw the idea of spiritual direction as the art of maturing in Christ. Mm. Um, and and so, you know, the Apostle Paul just gives us this, you know, we have to be renewed daily in our minds. And and I think that the, the, the part of us that you're saying is that we, we, see, we see this as like for the super mature and for the people who are like really far down in their faith, but in reality, yeah. the way that it actually works out is it's about our intention of who we're pursuing more than it's about our ability to pursue him well. And mm-hmm. so if we can, per, if we intend, God, I, I want to be with you. God, I want to hear you. God, I'm coming here to, you know, I mean, in many ways, right. As like, like Samuel said, just speak Lord for your mm-hmm. servants listening. If our intention is to be completely open and honest to God, he, it may take us some time to figure out how to discern between what's God and what's the pizza that we had last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, but, but it's our intention that, that helps us arrive there, not our ability. Right. Right. And, er, yeah, and every new me. Christian, baby Christians have an intention to be with God. Uh huh. Mm. I think that's right. This uh, seeking uh, for God, if you seek me with all your heart and, and uh, somehow, you know, and it just has happened that, that much, uh, we've equivocated or uh, we've we tend to define a deeper relationship with God with uh, what we do or um, what we know or what we know or um, productivity um, in external things and and yet inside there's uh, somewhat of a vacuum I know in my own life um, you know, uh, for being 30, let's see, how many years have I been a pastor? If I leave out the four years of truck driving, <laughs> so I've been a pastor for about 32 years, but I would say honestly about uh, 22 of those years, um, I, I attempted to be loyal to God and live a pure life before him and uh, a good model for believers, a faithful teacher to the word, all of those things. Um, and and I, I even had gone on spiritual direction retreats. And um, 
but oftentimes there was never enough time in my perception of being a church leader. Um, well, now everything is, is uh, upside down from that. And uh, I regret having, I feel like I was deceived, but I deceived myself, mm. I think, into, into learning. And a lot of it yeah. came from mentoring, you know, and modeling in my own life from people who, who did the same thing. And, and those things are important, you know, knowing scripture and, and uh, you know, faithfulness uh, in community and so forth. Those are, those are extremely valuable things, but, but so much of my experience in various uh, settings uh, left a vacuum within me. And I didn't realize I had a vacuum. That was the, the more upsetting thing. I, we, we talked about this once, uh, that we, uh, you don't realize um, and I use the example of Samson, although that's extreme, where he, he didn't realize that God had left him. Um, and, and sometimes I identify with that, you know, mm-hmm. not that God left me, but I just didn't realize uh, how alone I was uh, from, my, from my perception, my perspective. So mm-hmm. I want to jump in here for a moment and talk about this uh, from the idea of calling Jason, and that mm-hmm. is because um, it w- I think a lot of times what we're saying has two components to it, and and I'm le- I'm still I'm still learning this. I'm a beginner in all of this, and and I, honestly, the the thing that the quote that I have that was given to me by someone who was in our spiritual direction school, a brilliant quote for me, anyway, was if you're growing, you're always a beginner. And that really helps me to never be ashamed to ask questions, never be afraid to show ignorance in things. And so in this, one of the things I'm learning is in this idea of knowing who God is, knowing him, not just knowing him like we talked about in, in, or maturing into the, the relationship with God, not by knowledge, not by deeds, but in, in really intimately growing to know who God is and how he works in my life, part of that intimacy of knowing God is also knowing myself, mm. knowing who I am and how yes. God wired me personally, uniquely, to connect with him in ways that other people might not have like there's a there's there is that uniqueness to each one of us and we often compare ourselves to others and i think that this is where you know like if if i'm growing in maturity it has to look like chris or jason when no that's that may be true in some ways because we all learn and grow from each other but there's also that trap of comparing ourselves to others and so it's important to know ourselves to know who we are and how we uniquely, how God has uniquely called us to connect to him. And so I'd love for us to talk about, and this is where calling comes in, right? The idea, what, like, so what is calling? <laughs> this is what we're talking about tonight. To, right. what, do, do you know your calling? So would you start with, with uh, telling us, you know, a little bit or explaining to us, what, what do you mean when you say, do you know your calling? What does that mean? 
I mean, I feel like when we talk about calling, I, I think the majority of us believe a few things about calling that are very destructive. The first one being that that everyone has a Moses or Saul of Tarsus moment. That that everyone has this moment that is like, you know, lightning bolt, you know, like Smee from Hook, right? Um, right, where he's like, lightning has just struck my brain, you know? Uh, and And God shows up with this, you know, this epiphatic moment, this, this um, you know, burning bush or this bright light on the Damascus Road. So I think that's incredibly destructive um, because those two examples are two of maybe two or three handfuls of examples in the entire Bible mm. that's written over, you know, over 2,000 you know, arguably, depending on where you land scholarly, more time, right? You're, you're dealing with thousands of years of experiencing God. And there's like 10 to 15 examples of that. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not very many examples. You know, I mean, if you think about that, like, oh, yeah, over, over 2,000 years, we've had 15 people say this. Well, what do you call those 15 people? crazy <laughs> and that's what you call those people and and so that's i think is a really destructive thing that we we look for a call we all look for our calling like gideon look for his confirmation and i'm going to keep putting these signs out and if god never answers that sign well then obviously i'm not called mm. so i think a lot of christians are in that that place. They don't believe they're called to anything because they haven't had this Damascus road experience. And then the second thing that I think that's really destructive. And I actually think the church, if not tacitly at the very least by the, by their lack of, and by our lack as pastors, our lack of, of speaking against this, um, that we teach that the, the people with real callings are the ones that work inside the walls of the local church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we do this in a number of ways. Um, the biggest one that we're experiencing right now, which is just please God, let it die as soon as humanly possible is the celebritizing of pastors. Mm. Um, please let it and, and worship people, people worship yes. leaders and, yeah. and please let this die as soon as humanly possible. This is destroying what it means to be the church. Hmm. Um, and, and I think the beautiful thing that we're experiencing right now, that's really challenging me in the midst of this is my solution or my, you know, to that was let's just get off the internet. <laughs> not not like not like not like let's not have the internet, right? There's no problem with having access to information. Like let's stop putting our sermons 
and our worship services online. Oh. And, and, and let's stop quoting and let's stop having like conferences, you know, where this person and that person speak. And, and that was my solution. And now Corona happens and, uh, you know, renovate churches online on Facebook. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, if you're looking for the nearest hypocrite, he's right here. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, it's challenging my thinking. And it has more to do with the fact that we we have believed the lies of the Pharisees that there is a place of honor at the seat of the table other than Jesus's. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, um, I just read we, that like yesterday, <laughs> just yesterday. And, Speak to me, God. We give we give that space to people, and then when they inevitably do what we all do, which is sin. Um, their downfall destroys the idea of even calling within the local church right. um, in many ways. Yeah. And so I think these two, these two lies, these two myths, and they're really what they are as caricatures. They're, and that's, that's, a, that's how Satan lies more often than not. He doesn't come out and say, you know, well, only – only people who are super spiritual actually have a real calling in their life, right? He comes out and says, well, let me, let me make a caricature of this idea. And that's what he's done. That's what the enemy has done. And so we have celebrity pastors and celebrity worship leaders. And, you know, we, we elevate them to this place of position and power and prestige. And, and we have this idea that, that, you know, because so-and-so had this Mm -hmm. angel, visitation and was called that that must mean I I'm not called if I didn't have that. And, and, and so we, we, we teach on calling as this mystical thing, which at its core, everything is mystical because Mm -hmm. we believe in a supernatural God that co-eternally exists as three distinct, but not separate persons. So everything is mystical in that sense, but, uh, you know, in, in its biggest, you know, kind of 30,000 foot view sense. But, but when it comes to the, the day in and day out part of calling, it's probably a lot more like, uh, you know, uh, no ipsum, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what Augustine taught, right. Or St. Augustine, whatever you, you know, however you want to say it. Right. Um, you know, he taught that, that the knowledge of self leads to the knowledge of God. Um, and it's because we are icons. We are image bearers um, of God. And so as we learn that that part of the image that he's placed in us, it's not as though this is a command uh, explicitly from scripture, but it certainly seems to be lived out by, I don't know if, you know, when was the last time you ever heard a sermon from uh, Philip or Bartholomew mm. or, Thaddy, or Thaddeus? Right. Uh, I've never read any of those. I've never heard any of those. But I've heard lots of sermons from Peter and John and James. Um because that was their calling, 
and that was part that of their giftedness. They, yeah. But now, and that's what a critical thing right there, that connection between calling and giftedness. Because, you know, when you look in the scriptures, most of the times when we think of calling, it's about, you know, our, our, the calling of God to heaven or making our calling and election sure, you know, th- those right. kinds of things. And, right. and we are talking about calling in terms of maybe special ministry or my ministry before the Lord, whatever that looks like. And, and, and then when we're looking at it that way, then we're looking at function, which goes to giftedness, like what Kurt said. Yeah, and, and, and not even, just giftedness, but also natural talent, inclination. Sure. Things that, you're, things that you just genuinely do better than other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. talk about um, that. Talk about that. How, when it comes to calling, how does someone, so it's not just for the, you know, the celebrities on podcasts or, you know, in, in conferences yep. or whatever. It's, and it's not just Illustrious for radio talk show hosts. <laughs> you know. And it's, and it's not just for uh, the people, you know, the, whoever's speaking, the speaker in the local church or the, the worship leader or the musicians in the local church. It's for everyone who is a part of a community. And I want to make sure when we talk about church to clarify, my definition is a community of people, right? It's not a service. It's not anything. So we're talking about every person in a community of believers has a calling. So how, how do people average everyday people like all of us really are? How does anyone really begin to seek and understand who they are and what they're and what God's calling them into. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, so I feel a lot. Um, I was introduced to this model. It's called the design model. I was introduced to it from a friend of mine named Ken Prima, an incredible pastor, uh, really amazing dude. Um, but he worked at a church in, in Hawaii called New Hope, which is mm. pastored by a guy named Wayne Cordero. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Cordero was trying to answer this very question, like how do we empower the people of God to live out their day-in, day-out calling? And so I think what he did, and you can read about it in his book, you know, called Doing Church as a Team, he just tried to re-envision what it would look like. What if we thought less of less superstar, less Hollywood, and more team, more you know athletics? Yes, there are people who are really good at what they do in athletics, but if you're on a major team, you know if you're on the in the MLB or the NBA or the NFL, you're not getting paid. X number of dollars to sit around and do nothing to be a spectator. You're getting paid X number of dollars to be a participant. Um, And, and so I think he started, you know, he started playing around with this idea of what is it, you know, why we don't look at that. Let's just take the, you know, the, uh, my favorite sport is baseball. So it's easy for me. Right. So (laughs) let's just take the MLB. Right. 
you don't ask a, a really good pitcher to be a really good hitter. You don't mm-hmm. you don't ask a you don't ask a guy who's a power hitter who generally tends to be a lot bigger to run as fast as an outfielder. Although some although a lot of outfielders are big power hitters. But you don't have the same set of criterion for what makes them good at what they do. And this is true in all avenues of life. You know, you don't have to be you don't expect the um, professional musician or excuse me, the, the, the person who plays, you know, guitar at their house for fun to be as polished and as good at guitar as a professional musician. Mm-hmm. And so uh, where this really came about for me was it, it actually goes, it has to go back to an experience that I had in my very first full-time pastoral gig. I had been working in churches for five years and I was a youth pastor um, and I had an amazing, amazing mentor. Um, his name's Dane Auker. He's just an incredible, incredible guy. And he, he sat me down one day after listening to a sermon that I gave and he was the first like five minutes of the conversation were what I was used to hearing. Oh my gosh, man, that was just so good. Like, I don't know how you like tell stories the way you do. And he was just, you know, going on and on. And he said, but man, you know what? I can tell you're really good at what you do, but you know what's even, even more noticeable? And I was like, what? He's like, you're really lazy with what you do. <laughs> and I was like, uh... This took a turn that I was not expecting. <laughs> and and then he began to talk to me about the fact that if God has given me this gift of speaking, that I had this false assumption that then from then on that I was going to be naturally good at it and I never needed to work at it and I never needed to develop it. And so I think when it comes to, you know, the, the first step of, of calling is that identifying part and identifying is something as to me is a lot less mystical and a lot more like going around and just seeing what is it that makes you come alive? Mm -hmm. Because when God creates, he's, he gets life from his creation, right? He receives something from his creation. Um, Obviously not the idea of life as in, more existence or more, you know, um, more enjoyment, but he simply, yeah. yeah, enjoyment. He receives something from it. He, he sits back and it's very good. And when his creation isn't living in the ways that he talks about, it grieves him. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and so I think we can find our, our callings, um, not in necessarily what we are just naturally or intuitively good at, because I think I'm actually pretty decent. And I'm probably sure Chris, you know, Annie, Kurt, you guys are good at probably a bunch of different things, but there's one of those things that stands out above the rest that after you do it, you, even if you're exhausted within a couple hours, you're like, I'm so fired up. I could do like 500 million different things right now. Yeah. It fills your bucket. Yeah, and so what we say, you know, for at least at Renovate is 
I want you to, to discover, and really to me, it's just a discovery thing, not a, not a, um, not like a sit in your house and pray until it happens thing. It's just a get out and go do a bunch of different things. I tried to be a children's worker. I made all the kids cry. Turns out I'm not very good at it. <laughs> Especially because you took all the three-year-olds on a retreat into the desert. Right. Either that or I, I made fun of the third graders, and it turns out the third graders don't understand sarcasm, so they thought I was serious. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and so I found that out. And, and, and then I found out that – so I wasn't good at that. But then I was good at youth ministry, and I did that for a while, and it, was, and it gave me life. And then it stopped giving me life. And, what, and then what gave me life was, was teaching the Word. Really, that was the thing. And that's the thing that gives me life now is teaching the Word. Um, and, and so, number one, our calling isn't static. Number two, our calling is as easily as identifiable as, our, as, the thing, as identifying the thing that makes us the way we say it at Renovate is come alive the same way Pastor Jason comes alive in the pulpit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Passion. Like what fills Passion. us up. Yeah. What, hey, what do you do even if you're not paid for it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. What do you do like just instinctively that fills you up? Right. That's great. Right. And let's, uh, we're going to take a, a quick break just so that we can, um, I, once again, give people some information. I want to come back to that because a, a thought popped in my head um, that we can maybe give some people some questions to help them understand that. So before we, uh, we, we continue that conversation with Jason Hickey, who is our guest tonight, who is just amazing and giving us some great insight on the idea of calling. We're going to jump back into that in a minute. But... Uh, what we're going to do first is just talk about uh, just how you can connect with us tonight or even in the future. First of all, you can go to our Facebook page and you can put questions you have for any of us tonight on there or comments or things you're thinking about. We would love, even if this is popping ideas in your mind, we would love to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be tonight. If you're listening to some podcast, like I said before, you can go to our Facebook page and just um, during the comments, we'll, we're going to put links to the podcast there. You can put your comments there. We would love to hear what's going on or questions. We want to interact with you. So please jump into this with us. And uh, let us know what you're thinking or what, what questions you have. And we also want to make sure that you uh, let us or we let you know the other different programs, other shows in our network, which is Linked Local Network. And hey, friends, of- and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. 
We'd also like to thank the Linked Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Linked Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Thank you, Annie, for that. So we're talking tonight with... Jason Hickey, who is who pastors a church called Renovate, we want to make sure to give a shout out to that, to, to what, who you are and what you do, and is an incredible teacher guy who is just an incredible uh, just friend, and I love him. He's he's incredible for our community as well. I said I was I wasn't sure how many times I was going to use the word incredible tonight, and see I'm racking it up right now, um, and so he he deemed to join us tonight as a as a guest with this uh question do you know your calling and we've been talking about that uh how how each of us has a calling and how we can discover uh what really we're wired for that brings life to us and one of the things we just talked about was uh passion and giftedness as two indicators for for each of us what what do we do? I love that question, Jason. You said, "What do we do when uh, we don't really have to do anything?" What like draws us? Uh, the things we do when we just when no one's paying us, we just love to do them. And I, it, it made me think of other questions that I've been actually processing for myself recently, as I go through transitions in my life. And uh, I'm reading a book, and, and we'll put this one on the on the on the um, website tonight, as we're actually on the link for for this show, um, and, and all on any pod, podcast platform that you might be listening to it. And this book I'm reading that helps us understand our destiny is wired to our identity, and it's a book about the life of David in the Old Testament in first and second Samuel and beyond. Um, and it's called, and David perceived he was King is the name of the book. It's by a guy named right. Dale Mast. And in that book, he talks about a lot about, about identity, how we will never fulfill um, our destiny if we don't understand our own identity. And part of our identity is our calling and our giftedness. And so he gives, he gives, um, three questions that I want to, to give from that book. He says, uh, for this is, you were talking about how we can, how we can um, understand our calling. And so these are actually three questions to give to people who are, are connected to us, who, are, who know us quite well, could be family members or close friends or mentors or even spiritual directors if you have such. Um, to give them these three questions and ask them to literally, you know, like not just tell you verbally, but give them the questions and, and ask them to write them down, their answers down. And here are the three questions. Again, uh, I'm going to send this to Annie and we'll make sure not only the book, but these three questions are on our, our podcast platforms 
what what do you see as my greatest gift slash strength? And that's top three. What do you see as my greatest gift slash strength? Top three. Two, what has been my greatest influence or inspiration in your life? So obviously this is for people who are, who are connected to us closely. And then third, what story or experience or conversation comes to mind when you think of these things? So those are the, those are the three questions. So thoughts on those or what, when I, when I pose those three questions for people to ask, what do you guys think about what, where, where do your minds go? What other questions come to mind or thoughts? Anywhere. <laughs> or we could go back to what we were already talking about. <laughs> no, I think. Well, Jason's think our guest, so go ahead, Jason. <laughs> I think what. I think what you're hitting on, Kurt, is is really, I mean, you know, I don't know how new or, or old the book is. To me, my my experience has been um, you can either read David G. Benner and uh, Parker Palmer, or you can just read everyone who talks about the same thing as they did. Mm. Uh, and and these two authors, right? I mean, they're just, they're probably, at least for me, the, the two people, and I think we're having really cool, profound writers today, like John Mark Comer, who are asking these really same provocative questions that what does it mean to live out, you know, as the image bearers of God, and, and what does that look like um, in our callings? But they're all basically saying, the same things that like David Benner talked about and um, you know, uh, the sacred call to self-discovery and the gift of being yourself, you know, those and three, then Parker are those Paul. three different books. No, or... the, 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 um, the sacred call to self-discovery and to being yourself. Those are two. Um, those, that, those are the, sorry, that's one book, the, the, the gift of being yourself, the sacred, the call of sacred discovery. And then he has another book that's called presence and encounter with the sacramental possibilities of everyday life that kind of basically shifting our minds. I, I, I probably should have included this and you guys were probably waiting for this and I just totally let you down. The, the the perspective that's another perspective that's killing us and when it comes to calling is thinking that there's our spiritual life and then there's the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. And instead of seeing that everything, every act, every every intention, every thought, every everything that we do is a part of our Genesis mandate of be fruitful and multiply. Um, rule the earth and subdue it, Right oversee it, care for it, and create, create culture, create life, create process. Yeah. Um, so when we can begin to like move towards that perspective, I think our calling, we don't have to worry about what, you know, this Damascus road experience. We just have to look for like this everyday sense of God is always working He's always trying to present me with things. He's always trying to to grab my attention 
And the question is, am I willing to listen? And a lot of the times I think the answer is not no. It's that I'm listening for the wrong thing. And I want to speak into that a moment because I think where there's a deep issue for us when it comes to this idea that we're talking about with identity and calling. And that is that God, we, this really goes to the, what you're talking about with voices. Like we're not listening to God, right? We're, we're often listening to another voice. And here's the question that really needs to get answered. I think is that does God enjoy us? Right. Does he really like, am I really that image bearer? Am I really made in the image of God? Even though that image through the fall of humanity into sin, into rebellion against God and the brokenness that we have endured through that, does God still really enjoy us as broken image bearers that he that he looks at and engages with. And the voice that we often equate to God's is a voice of condemnation, of judgment, of shame, of that we're not doing enough to please God. We're not, we're not, you know, like he's doing all this work for us and we're not living up to our, our potential, our side. He's disappointed with us. And and especially when it comes to de- de- depending on your family of origin and the kind of voices, often even when we had really positive parents, we have a tendency to glom onto negative aspects that they that things they said or did that we connect to and hold to, even if they said those things um, way less than all the positive. We tend to like we we have it's almost like this weird thing, right? If you want you you want people really to hear the positive, you got to say something ten times positive to one time negative for them to really connect to the positive, right? And so there's this tendency of us to of ours to go to like when it comes to God's point of view to in our minds transfer for that negative condemning um, disappointed voice as God's and I would say and propose that above all knowing our calling and knowing our identity is beginning to explore and understand just how much God enjoys us he really enjoys us enjoying Mm -hmm. him enjoying our life, and what he wants is for us to invite him in to everything we're doing, even when it's resting on a Sabbath day, doing no work. Like one of the things about Sabbath rest, we're talking about calling, and so there's this inherent idea of doing things, of giftedness, and, and we're, you know, but even when we're, you know, this is the idea of Sabbath even in this, is when I'm completely, unpro- when I'm fully unproductive, I'm fully loved. Uh-huh. And it's the idea of everything we do. This is the, you talked about the sacred secular divide. There is no such thing. Everything we do is meant to be about connecting with God. It's a, whether we're resting or working, it's meant to be inviting him in 
and my scripture for me that helps me in this is is first Corinthians thirteen, where it says, Love rejoices with the truth. And I've never connected this until just in the last couple of years with later on where Paul says, I I will know someday I will know fully as I am fully known. Mm-hmm. And I and it can those two pieces in the same chapter, the love chapter, right? We talk about love, that we use that at weddings, but there was two pieces: love rejoices with the truth, and I am fully known. Right now, I'm fully known, and God fully knows me and rejoices in the truth of who I am, and all my brokenness, and all my mistakes, and all my failures, and in all my successes. He rejoices in all of it because he rejoices in me. He enjoys me. And so I think the most for me, and and I would love for you guys to to speak into this, what you're hearing in that. For me, the most important part of calling is to understand how God has made me to experience his joy and the uniqueness of who I am as a flawed, finite human being made in his image. Thoughts, questions, comments, disagreements? No, I agree with yeah. that. That That's well said. Yeah. And I, I think, I think it's, it's difficult, right? We, we struggle to, I think the reason that most of us struggle with this idea of, you know, what God's expecting and what he's trying to get from us, right? Which the only thing we can actually give him is the gift that he already has given us, which is ourselves. Mm-hmm. The thing that grieves him is when we try to be a crappy version of somebody else. <laughs> Because we don't really buy in, right, to that he enjoys us. We have to be somebody else. And and so, so yeah, so, like, I mean, there are people who are just, there's no, I'm not, I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm not, I'm not like, oh, you know, you know, feed my ego. There are people who are genuinely better communicators of the scriptures than I am genuinely. And that's okay. Right. But when I try to preach like them, I am terrible at it. Mm. I try to emulate this other being, this other unique imprint of God. Not only do I, not only do I, you know, try to steal that person's thunder, you know, but also at the same time, I, I'm rejecting, you know, um, St. Augustine, right? Know thyself. Right? Like when, when I can know myself, I know the reflection or the image of God within me. And, and then I, I know that I can do what pleases him when I'm me. Yeah. And, and, when I'm living as a as a being of comparison, when I'm living as a being of external identification, 
right? I identify myself with things that are external, you know, from me. Like, oh, I wish I was like, I want to be like so-and-so when they're blank. But Mm. I want to be like so-and-so when they're blank. And and I have just, you know, I'm, I'm so not even close to there. Right. Every, you know, I love your saying, right. When you, when you truly get it, you realize you're always a beginner. Mm. Um, I'm definitely a beginner at this, but I, I'm beginning to learn that the only thing that I can give to renovate and to the world that God requires is the thing that he already gave me, which is me. What helps you settle into that? What helps you settle into your own skin and be comfortable with you? As at least like, <laughs> what has helped you in the past? No, really. Yeah. What, is, what has helped you in the past? Like what practices? Uh, one of the things that I want to go back to when I'm asking that question is I want to highlight one thing as you're thinking about that question, right? What is it that helps you settle in your skin now, it, now and in the past? One of the things I think that's really practical that I want to emphasize that you said, Jason, earlier, is the point of doing things, just doing it. Like, as you, whatever you enjoy, like, doing that and, and like, even as you were talking about the speaking, right, there are going to be times where we all make mistakes and whatever we enjoy that we're going to see somebody else who does a a better job at it than us. And we're going to go, I'm going to emulate that person. And, and that's just going to happen. It, it, it happens. And, and in the process of doing it though, and, and, you know, like whatever it is for you speaking for, for me, one of the things that really I love is interacting with people. I love just being with people. Um, And, when you do it, you find other people, oh, that person really connects with people much better than me, or that person really talks, you can speak to mass crowds way better than me, or this person can play mm-hmm. guitar better than me, or this person can cook a meal way better than me, and we begin to try to emulate them, and sometimes we connect with those things, we find things in them that work for us. We're like, oh, I like this, and it works, and other Times my wife will say, "Stop! You 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 suck at this per, this aspect. Stop doing that. You know, like you you're you're just trying to emu, emulate or imitate. And it is. And so the the emphasis I want to make is, how am I going to know? But unless I actually practice and actually put myself out there and do the things, you know. And but yeah. that's that's one important thing is is actually just going, what do I love? Let me try that. And you're going to fail at times. But the idea of you're going to learn, again, if you're growing, you're always a beginner. You're going to learn from it if the thing that gets in the way of that is ego. And I have to put that aside. If I live in the place that I'm always a beginner, then, I, then I'll keep making mistakes and going, okay, I'm learning as I grow. And that's important. Ego gets in the way. But Um, the ego gets in the way because we don't understand how much God enjoys us, which helps us settle into this whole journey and really make mistakes. It's okay. We fail, fail forward. So for you in that process, what helps you in the journey 
more comfortable in your own skin and know that God enjoys you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have like, <clears throat> I think a lot of the times I know that I'm not comfortable in my own skin when I'm, when I'm dipping into my coping mechanisms. It's not that I know that I'm comfortable. It's not that I feel comfortable in my own skin because I'm not even sure I ever do, to be honest. Mm. Um, because I'm, um, I mean, you're a normal human being. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> At least that's what I'm coming to try try to come to grips with. Uh, I'm yeah. a normal human being who's wired. As you know, I mean, let's let's just bust out all the the you know the hip tests, right? I'm an Enneagram eight, so I'm an active controller. So Enneagram control, yep, Enneagram. Uh, my top two on Strengths Finder is Achiever and Activator. I am almost a pure I for Inspire on the disc. I am a hundred out of a hundred extrovert on the Myers Briggs. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, if I do it, I am going to do it so much better than you, Kurt. So much better than every single human being has ever done it in the history of ever. Um, I was going to be better at being Rob Bell than Rob Bell was being at Rob Bell uh, when it came to communication, because I don't care where you land on his theology. No one can deny that the fact that that man can communicate like yes. no one else. Yes. Um, right. So, uh, I mean, that that's just the way I'm wired. So I honestly, I don't, I think what <laughs> the best thing I have to offer is, how do I not feel so uncomfortable that I dip into my coping mechanisms? That's honestly, the, I think that's the best thing I have, which is I am very, very intentional about giving a handful of people the voice of the, you know, the stop button um, because my wife is not enough. Um, because she's too biased and she cares about me too much to say hard things sometimes. Mm. Um, and she can't see it sometimes either because she believes the best in me. Yeah. Um, and just like I believe the best in her and I can see things that she can't see in herself. Um, and so I, I'm very intentional to give the people in my life a hand, a handful of people, voices in my life who kind of have a, like a, I don't know what the right way to say it is. They just kind of have like a do not pass go card, like automatically, like, Hey, you need to stop doing this right now. Mm. Or, Hey, you need to start doing this right now, which I know is super scary for like every human being in the world. That's not wired like me. Um, so I know that's like a super impractical uh, suggestion because I welcome that stuff. Right, one of my favorite proverbs is Proverbs twelve one. You know, to he you know he he who loves uh, now or wisdom loves knowledge, um, but he who hates correction is stupid. 
Yeah, I love that one too. Right. It's, it's, it's like it's like perfect for my personality. Like, oh, it's like a two by four of scripture. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's right upside the head. <laughs> it does. It does. You know, but but uh, no subtlety. Like the... Hit me with it. I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have people in my life who just have the two by four, right? Who just have the Proverbs twelve one authority in my life. But I do think a really, 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 really key practice for me is um, knowing my limits and knowing where my best self, knowing the practices that produce my best self, which are going to be different for you than they are for me. I've got to work out three times a week, period. If I don't, I'm in a hole and I'm filled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to have some form of contemplation at least two times a week where I move past praying for things and I move to, again, going back to Chris, what we were talking about before, just the, the open intention of letting God, you know, uh, Psalm 139 me, you know, mm-hmm. search me and know me, mm. you know, see, see if there's any wicked or offensive way in me. Um, another one is therapy. Um, I was raised in a pretty tough environment, um, that, you know, for out of, uh, my, my attempts to honor those people, um, I don't, you know, speak about what it is, um, you know, on this kind of, in this kind of venue, but it was raised in some pretty tough stuff. And, um, and I don't see therapy, you know, as a weakness or as a, as a spiritual, um, uh, deficiency. I agree. Uh, but, but I see it as the, calling of someone else, the image of God in someone else that is able to be a salve for the rest of us who don't have that gift and who don't have that calling. I think that what I keep hearing in this is when it comes to understanding our calling, how important other people are. You've mentioned therapy. You mentioned spiritual director. You've mentioned your wife, you've mentioned other people, friends that you, that you trust that will speak the truth and love to you, that you have, that you have built a relationship enough to be, that they're safe for you, even when they're saying hard things and even when they're hitting you with that two by four. And so I think one, and, and the questions that I gave, and by the way, just to be super clear, sometimes the two by four is a two by four of grace that I'm not giving myself. Nice. Okay. So they're, so they're it's not, it's not just hard things. It's things that I need that I can't hear right now mm. from the, from the Lord. So for me, I'm a, I'm a fatalist, right? I just think every mistake that I make is I'm sending people to hell and the wor- you know, the worst possible scenario, you know, I, I have, I have been known to go to the hospital for having a B in college, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so, 
you know, so I just think every one of my mistakes is that, that fatal mistake. And when in reality, I need people in my life who are, who are not just willing to say the, the, the Proverbs 12, one stuff, but also to remind me, like, you're taking on the yoke of the Pharisees. You're taking on yeah. the yoke of Satan. You're not taking on the yoke of Jesus. That conde- you're and listening who- to that condemning voice. You're listening to yeah. the voice of shame. That's and not I'm, God's I'm voice. I'm almost always comparing. Just always, if I was only more like so-and-so, then I would not have to be where I'm at right now. Hmm. And, and it's, it's those people in my life that can speak into those moments when I'm dipping into that, in that whatever part of me that wants to be more like so-and-so, whoever so-and-so happens to be in that exact moment, which is almost always someone who's just uniquely gifted at that thing that I just failed at. Mm. So even bringing people into your life who you admire and look up to and and not being insecure and enough to to go well that person is better in in doing this thing that I really like love to do and being able to go again have that beginner attitude to go will you will you help me will you be in my life and teach me to you know to grow and so it's even the things that you enjoy to do um, and are good at finding people that are even better and being willing to submit humbly to learning from them. Yeah, because only pride can be offended. Yeah. And I'm always, you know, just to be super clear to all of our listeners, man, if you know me, you know I get offended easily because I'm, I'm, I'm an ENFP, man. There are feelings. You know, Myers-Briggs, I mean, there are just feelings just shooting out of me like fireworks at all times. Um, yeah. But it's yeah. my pride that gets offended. It's only my yeah. pride, not my not my humility and not my life. And, and so it's learning to, as pastors, I think we're especially good at doling out hard truths. And we're very, very poor at receiving them. Yeah. Uh, I would agree and with so, that. So, like, how about you guys have that problem? <laughs> <laughs> this is why Chris. This is why Chris is on the show because he doesn't have that problem, and he's better than us at, at receiving those things. So, we have him here to help lift us up, Jason. So, this is yeah. Growing. Well, that's why I brought Chris in. You know, like I, I, I've been planning this for for years since I came here to slow. <laughs> To get Chris right. to speak into my life about being more humble, because that's really that, his problem. He's is. just too humble. Uh, yeah, I'm glad. Boy, you you are a good uh, spiritual director. You can see right. One thing that struck me in all of this when we're talking about people and how important they are to calling is in our world we how the enemy has moved to isolate us from each other. How like we're, I think more and more we are building walls and boundaries and, and um, strongholds to thinking we need to be protected from each other. We're becoming more antagonistic, more tribal, more separated 
And I, mm-hmm. the thought that struck me, and I'd love for Chris, both of you, Chris and Jason, to speak into this, is do you think that's a tactic that if, if we're talking about calling and how important having close relationships with other people is for us to discover our calling, do you think that that is a tactic of the enemy to actually keep us from discovering our calling because he's terrified if every person understood where they were gifted and passionate and were and and pursued those and placed people around them that uh to help them in that that they would be a powerful force in uniting people rather than dividing and isolating and doing what you know what he loves to do which is destroy us so thoughts on that on that hmm. idea well um got I've got a few thoughts that I'm trying to twist together here um, like you know when you talk about the tribal mentality I keep thinking of the church in Corinth that struggled with callings and gifts uh, because I think they sourced my sense is that they sourced their calling and gifts not from God but from within themselves Mm. And therefore, they lost the art of serving. They lost what, Chris? The art of serving and love. And so, uh, you know, earlier when uh, when you guys were talking about you know trying to discover, and I'm I'm thinking for the for our audience, which you know, 99% of them may not be pastors at all. They may right. not be teachers right. at all. And, um, and of course, in our Western culture, and specifically in our American culture, there is this idol, not idolatry, but, you know, this wishing I could be somebody else, Mm -hmm. you know, wishing I could be the singer, wishing I could play the guitar, wishing I could preach or teach or, or have some kind of position of importance and all those kinds of things. But, um, you know, in my life, uh, Recently, I would say within the last year, I've been uh, going through the scriptures and discovering. And I loved, uh, Jason, when you talked about, you know, these callings. You know, you talked about Moses and and uh, Paul and these callings. And, and I, I actually did a similar kind of survey through the Old Testament. And I, and I found the vast majority of, of people who found their calling kind of fell into it. You know, like a Joseph. Mm -hmm. Joseph had no idea about a calling. He had some dreams and he ended up in prison and, and, (laughs) you know, and Mm -hmm. all he did was just do what he would normally do. And God brought him to different places of service. And, and, uh, and then I, I think about Hannah. And, uh, you know, uh, she, she tells her, she tells uh, Eli, I'm a bond, I, I'm just your bond servant, you know, and she tells her husband, I'm just your bond servant. And, and I think how culture sometimes defines roles, defines callings for mm-hmm. us, like in the early part of the 20th century, where in the church, you know, uh, actually for most part of the, of that century, you know, women's women's callings were defined by their, their gender, you know, uh, teaching the children, uh, 
uh, helping people who are hurting, organizing a potluck, you know, those kinds of things. And, and the men's callings were around teaching and leading and repairing work at the church and, and so forth. But as we have progressed in our, in our particular culture, we, uh, there is a realization that uh, uh, we are equipped for many things. And so when I when women, I to the did you I, say women are equipped for many things? Everyone is equipped. Oh, you everyone. Know, that, yeah, everyone is equipped for for many things. We are, and 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 so if you don't know what you're equipped for, just begin serving. In other words, you know when uh, when Jesus talked to the disciples, you know, and he gave them the model of washing their feet, and and. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't talk to them about their gifts or their passions or their callings. You know, he just, he just said, just start serving, you know. And and uh, as they served, God would call them and God would call different people. So I'm applying all this to my life and realizing, dang, you know what? I don't really want to be a pastor and I don't really want to be a teacher and I really don't want to. Show me how to be a Hannah. Show me how to be a Joseph. Show me, show me how to do those humble. Those, those, how, show me how to be a bond slave, and to do it with delight in my heart. You know, those kinds of things, and uh, and and then in that discover the enjoyment of God. That God enjoys me. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then as you're doing that, then you discover, wow, you know, I'm. Discovering, I as a person who I like to do this for people, or I like to do this for so and so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- those are just some things that I'm trying to weave together here. Is listen to you guys talk and share. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right on, Chris. Just this idea that we had a professor in my undergrad. Um, I took nine years to get my bachelor's degree, and I went to six schools. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And I had I had enough credits to graduate. I mean, they were all strewn about. Three you know, PhDs, but, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I had so many credits. Um, but uh, one of my professors in my undergrad, his name is Bill Dogterum, and he said the easiest way to find out what you were made to do is to systematically – try all the things that you uh, think are out there and find out all the things that you're not made to do. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I just, that's kind of what I did. I just started getting out there and doing stuff. That's and I was like, one. Oh, okay. I'm kind of good at that, but I don't find the, the life. It doesn't. It and that's, doesn't what, our, that's life. what our audience needs to hear. No, not alone, but just get out there and try some things, do some things. Yes. Yeah. And expect, you know, expect God. Expect God to show up, but don't expect to be perfect. Like, don't expect to be oh, right. Yeah. Right. Like you're, you know, I sucked at. You know, I wasn't very good at children's ministry, and I was a really bad IT guy, and I I was decent at. I was pretty decent at graphic design. I didn't like it you know, for a job, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I had, a, I had a scholarship to art school when I graduated high school, but I didn't take it because I wanted to study literature. Um, mm. and where was I, I would have traded you. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to study literature. And so I, 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 mm. I 
you know, blew off the scholarship to art school and went to a community college and started studying, mm-hmm. you know, uh, British and, and early American <laughs> writers. And, uh, and then that was my, the first of my six majors that I had over the next nine years. Isn't it amazing literature. how God uses normal life? He just uses normal yeah. life to help us move into his will. I love yeah. that. Normal life is spiritual. Right? Think, the normal yes. life is, right? So w- what are we commanded as parents to talk about? Where are we commanded to talk about God with our, with our children? Right. As you walk, walk away. along the road. Yeah, as you go. As you, as you rise up, as you lie down, like, hey, basically it's like Moses was saying in this really, you know, nice, polished way. Like, hey, man, when you're just doing stuff around the house, you know, and around the camp, just yeah. find ways to weave it in. Yeah. And and I think that faith, you know, I think if we could embrace a, a journey with God that was a lot more like um, – like Jack Kerouac's attempt to find meaning on the road. Um, If we could embrace our relationship with God as this continual process of uh, hopefully more stumbling forward than stumbling Mm -hmm. backwards, but always recognizing that whichever direction we're going, it's stumbling. Um, if we could figure out a way to be okay with that and, and let go of, you know, Kurt, you've been trying to ask this question kind of the whole night and I've been trying to figure out what it really, what the answer really is. And I feel like for most of us, the answer is of how, of what is the most practical way we can discover our calling the, the, the do the most do thing we can do is to actively and ruthlessly eliminate expectation. Mm. Um, So when we feel our body expecting us to do something, when we feel our soul expecting us to do something, because uh, it's almost always externally, it's almost always an external expectation, some, some false self thing that we've built up in our minds that this is who I am. I'm the helper or I'm the, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the tell it like it is person, or I'm the this, or I'm the 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 num I'm the I'm the person who's good with numbers, so I have to do that, and you know, or I'm the person who's good with words, so I have to do that. When we can when we can ruthlessly pay attention to when we feel compelled to do something, mm-hmm. and we can begin to say, I I don't want to do that. Right. I love doing that. The freedom to say that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I want to be clear for, you know, I know for our podcast, right, we got many listeners who are really just trying to find the tools to just not just survive or not just not thrive in their calling, but even survive in the midst of just pain. Yeah. I, I can tell you as someone who's, literally picked out a 24 inch coffin and watched it go, you know, and I intentionally didn't watch it go on the ground because I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of that, that experience. But as someone who's had to pick that out 
and as someone who's had to live years and years and years of feeling like the only thing that I have left to give is, is pain because mm-hmm. that's all I have. Um, I, I can tell you, you only have today, you only have this moment guaranteed from Jesus. Uh, this is why we're commanded not to worry about tomorrow. Not because we, not because we aren't guaranteed it, but because we can't handle it even if we tried. Right. We can't do anything about it even if we tried. We're overreaching because it's beyond our grasp to, work, to, no, to control tomorrow, ever. It's always. And, it's, and when it's we can learn. For us. That's right. And when we can learn to let go of our control of external things, we can begin to let go of control of the internal things. Mm. And the internal things are the things that we'll find that it's not about not being able to worry about tomorrow. It's in fact, I'm a broken person who feels the need to control everyone's actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone's reactions. And, yep. you know, when it comes to Emerson and, and my life and my story, right. Uh, I feel the need to control who's going to live and who's going to die. So I'll manically protect. Right. Um, Right. And that's not my job. And so when I can begin to let go of those things that have externally been forced upon me or those things that have happened because life in this world is we will have troubles in this life. Um, When I can just simply rest in the reality that, that this life isn't everything it's cracked up to be. Um, but it could be if I could just stop being, trying to be a crappy version of someone else and instead trying to be a stumbling version of myself. Hmm. I, I was going, you know, like right as we were finishing talking about uh, the idea of just trying things. And and I heard serving as a huge thing, like not just trying things, but what I heard in all of this is it's important to serve other people, when, yeah. not just doing things, because we can just do things for ourselves, right? We can just go to work, we can find try to find a job that fits us, that fits our calling, but the idea of serving is so important. It's volunteering. You know, well, a lot of people don't find their calling is because they they don't do anything extra beyond their job. They don't look for ways to serve other people, and there's such a huge part of investing yourself in other people. Some right on that journey, you find calling in that, and God blesses that. But you know what? All of that we were talking about, yeah. And I'm glad you talked about your child that who passed away, Jason, because what was forming in my mind right there at the end was this idea that this all, we could tie this up right now in a pretty bow. Like this sounds great, but we haven't talked about the brokenness in the journey of calling of how hurt and pain that has nothing to do necessarily with my calling. It's just pain of things that happen to me how God also uses those things to clarify who we are and what he's called us to do. And that there's a simple phrase that is pat and trite. I get it. 
And maybe you could speak into this a little bit in talking about the death of a child. I, I can't even imagine that for myself. Two daughters can't imagine that experience. But the idea of our mess becoming our message, of of going through these experiences of brokenness and hurt and tragedy and devastation and discovering the depths of God's grace and his enjoyment of us, even in the midst of those things that leads us further into knowing him and knowing ourselves and the calling placed on our life. Would you, would you talk about that a little bit? You've, you mentioned it, how like, uh, if there's anything more you can share about how, I guess the, how the depths of despair and the depths of having to bury a child and this, these tragedies have helped, have God has showed you more of who you mm. are to him. Mm. Yeah. Those are, those are really big, big ideas. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And we got eight minutes left. So there you go, Jason. <laughs> Yeah, sweet, sweet. Seven minutes, Big, Biggest, Biggest question of the night. Uh, eight minutes, go. Um, <laughs> uh, roll. Hey, man, that's good. Um, I think it's really important. Number one, it's not, it's not about, even in your, you know, even in your statement, well, you know, you can't imagine um, what it's like. And, and I agree with that. I think, I think taking that making sure that we understand that we don't get what it's like to feel like other people is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but that even in that, that there's a, there's a level of comparison, right? It's like, it doesn't matter. Trauma is trauma is trauma. That's right. yeah. So a- everyone who's experienced trauma on some level, anyone who's experienced pain, so anyone who's alive, <laughs> number one, don't compare, don't, don't try to, don't try to relegate, like levels just instead allow it to be as detrimental as it is and and be okay, be okay with, you know, it's right. Cause my pain, right. Me losing a daughter is nothing compared to, you know, um, genocide in Rwanda. Mm. Um, me losing a daughter is, you know, or, or we could even say it right. Like, let's take the big topic, right? The coronavirus is nothing compared to the AIDS pandemic, right? Right. That what's that going to do? That's not going to do anything. It's not going to help anyone. That's just minimizing something that instead of experiencing it. So number right. one, I guess I would say, you know, the your pain will either be a trite version of your message, or it will be an authentic one. And so I, um, you know, kind of the, one of the big, um, you know, model or mantras of Celebrate Recovery, which I absolutely believe in, and I think it's the most, one of the most life-giving programs within the church, um, is, you know, God never wastes a hurt. And I, I get that, but I disagree with it, not because it's wrong, but because it's incomplete, mm. um, uh, and it really shouldn't be a period; it should be a comma. Um, but we do. It should be after that. God never wastes a hurt, but we don't always let Him redeem it. And so, how is Emerson's 
life and death built into my calling, built into my, how do I, you know, live that, live this thing out and my methods and how does he use my painful experiences? Well, it started with five years of me being a pastor who would get up and preach regularly and on the inside having nothing but despise and contempt or and con- contempt for him. Hmm. I hated him. I never stopped believing in him. Hmm. I never stopped following him. But I hated him. Hmm. I thought he was a sadistic, hateful man. I gave my whole life to him. I gave everything to him. And he let this happen to me, right? And, and at the end of the day, what was I saying? Someone else deserved this more than me. Wow. And that's what I was saying at the end of the day. Um, and I was also saying, God, it's your fault. And, and on, on the, the meta level, right, is God powerful enough to have stopped it? Yeah, he absolutely is. But did it happen because God wanted it to? I don't believe that. I believe it happened because sin is in the world, so death is in the world. So pain and trauma is in the world. But I had to go through five years, and three years of of that was in therapy, and two years was just spent being about uh, um, about as emotionally present with my family, my wife and my son at the time, um, and, and my work as a, as a wet towel is as useful as picking up a bottle of water. Um, I just wasn't, I, I just didn't have anything in the tank. There was nothing mm-hmm. in the tank. Um, no, you know, like, like, uh, we, we are so not comfortable with the parts of scripture that say food tasted like ash in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I had my fill of drink and it never satisfied um, you know, the, the, these parts of, of people's really real, raw human experiences, no matter what they are, that are painful, we as the church choose not to talk about them. And so for those years, I never felt so alone inside the walls of a church. Wow. Because no, nobody was saying you know, nobody was saying, let's talk about pain. Let's talk about hurt. And thankfully, towards the end of that time period, people did start to talk about it in the church. People did start to talk mm-hmm. about it uh, mm-hmm. from the pulpit. And and so for me, God has used that. Emerson, pain is not my message. Pain is part of my message. Amen. Right? Yeah. Um and so Emerson is not my message. Emerson's part of my message. And what I had to come to grips with was either God is enough if all I had was pain and suffering for the rest of my life. Was God himself going to be enough to be a sustainer in it and not a rescuer from it? And was hmm. that going to be okay? And I came to the realization that, yes, 
that my brokenness would always get in the way. And so, um, so my, I was going to be the one to say, I'm either going to be in the way or I'm going to follow the way. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for your transparency, Jason. Yeah. Really. And that, that last was... one is gold. Thank All you. All right. Well, Kurt, we need to wrap this here, buddy. Yes. Thank you, Jason, for being on this and talking about so all of much. this. We appreciate you. And we Absolutely. want to definitely bring you back, man. There's so much more to talk about sometime for sure. <clears throat> well, thank Kurt. you guys, Chris, Annie, Kurt. Really yeah. appreciate all you guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Yep. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, you can go online and catch all of the materials. So uh, all right. we, Good night, everybody. Yeah, God bless you. Good. Take care. Good night. God bless.